We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 352. We welcome this guest back to the podcast. She was episode 11, if you can believe it, way back in the day. And we learned all about her life and how she became one of the best dressage riders in the world, and now she is on, several years later, still dominating. I had the pleasure of watching her compete in person at World Cup Finals in Omaha this year, and Ethan and I made a really fun video there all about the day in the life of her chestnut mare diva. I'll make sure we include it with the episode. But our guest today has been a rising star in the dressage world, winning in both team and individual tests on young rider teams. She has continued success with several notable performances, including a first and a second in the 2016 USEF Young Adult Pratina Cup Dressage National Championship and 2019 FEI Grand Prix Freestyle win, and most recently a sixth place performance in the 2023 Freestyle at the FEI Dressage World Cup Final in Omaha. On a personal note, back in 2019, when I had this guest on the podcast for episode 11, we became friends ever since, and it's so cool that we have been able to continue our friendship, and I just makes me love the podcast that much more. Speaking of the awesome connections you make in the horse world, this episode is brought to you by Livec, which is an advanced searching and filtering, really to make it easy to find the opportunities that are a perfect fit for you. For any equestrian, whether it is looking for horses, a job, a new barn, events, or work for your lifestyle, visit liveek.com for more info. That's L I V E eq.com. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, my friend, Anna Buffini. Hi, Anna. Hello. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. I am so happy to have you back on the podcast. It is crazy that we kind of met through the podcast the first time around. Literally, you were episode 11. That's wild. I know. I didn't think about it. It really is how we met. And then you got to come on Sunday. And oh my gosh, seriously. So such awesome memories. I literally, I feel like I still talk about that day all the time when I was in California and you were just like, yeah, come ride. And it was like such an unbelievable experience. That was so special. I'm so glad we got to do that. I know. Same. Um, Well, Thank you for coming back. I feel like we have so much to talk about and would love to get into it. So for anyone wanting the full rundown of Anna's story, head over to episode 11. It's back a ways, but that is her kind of full story of how she kind of got to where she is up until that point in 2019. So now let's pick it up where we left off. Tell me a little bit about what you have been doing with your riding career in the past couple of years? Yeah. So the past couple of years, I have been able to really achieve so many dreams being on U S nations cup teams and 
I've been to two World Cups since we've talked, which is crazy to even say. But um, it's just wild to look back and think 2020 was really the start of my uh, senior Grand Prix U.S. team journey. Um, And we talked a year before that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So crazy. With, I think from when we talked, obviously was just touching on, I got to ride Sunday boy in California, which was absolutely incredible. Obviously, sadly, he has since left us, which I know was devastating and and so difficult for you with him being like such a special part of your life. What did that look like for you as far as horses and, and your, your plan moving past that point? Yeah. So Sunday boy passed away in 2021 and in 2020, I had actually gotten this horse named Davinia. She ended up being my miracle mare. And I always feel like horses help you get through the hardest times in your life. At least that's what it is for me. Um, Like my faith, my family and my horses. And so 2021, I actually ended up, I lost three horses that year, which was crazy. Wow. One had tumors, one um, injury. He came with a leg injury that, the seller didn't tell me about and he couldn't walk anymore. And then going into my first Grand Prix season, Sunday boy got an infection and passed away. And it was like pretty overwhelming um, how fast it happened, how many horses died. And then Sunday boy, I mean, he was my best friend. He's been with me through the hardest times of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's my heart horse. He will, I always say this, he will forever be my favorite horse and my yeah. best friend. And um, really the thing that got me through it was Diva, my other mare and competing and staying, having a goal I was able to stay focused on and just keep uh, working through it instead of having to sit there and think about it all the time. Um, I had a goal to work towards and I had a best friend who helped me through it all. And we were, it was our first year of competing for us teams. So it was a really important year full of, you know, a lot of loss. And again, it is, I have a perspective that it's a horse loss and not a human loss, but still, you know, to have your best friends, you work with your whole life that um, it's just gone and you're supposed to be competing at the highest level in your sport was tough. And I just have to say like Diva got me through it all and she helped me excel even during those hard times. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Diva because I know that this is a very unique special story, especially with her finding her way to the top of the sport that wasn't necessarily what maybe you or or others who have known her thought of her. I think she really proved everyone wrong. So give me the rundown of how you found her, what kind of the expectations were for her, and then at what point you kind of felt like, oh my gosh, like she's actually, she's going to be incredible. Yeah, she's just the underdog that could and never quits. So I got her out of one of the losses, um, Don Diego, the horse with the leg injury, he passed away and I was pretty much horseless because Sunday was retired by then. And I just had some young ones and we were just saying it was during COVID. And we said, well, we need a horse to ride the Grand Prix on. Like I was ready. Everything was in place to do the Grand Prix and I had no horse. And with COVID, you couldn't fly. So we knew these, um, one of the most famous trainers in Germany, Klaus Balkanal and his daughter, Belly Balkanal had trained this horse named Davinia. Now she had been for sale for years, a long, 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 long time. And I think it goes without saying that chestnut mares can be quite spicy and opinionated. 
And I love them for that, but they are. And um, I think that uh, maybe kept her from getting sold quicker. And, but at this point I had no other choice and she was in our price range. She was a lot less expensive than the Grand Prix horses out there. And also you never buy a Grand Prix horse without trying it first. It is just unheard of. You don't do it. And we really took a risk buying it because we knew and trusted these, um, the people selling it to us. So that helped a lot. And I got her and I had about three weeks to do my first competition, which is crazy. In my opinion, it takes about a year to really get to know a horse. And we had three weeks. So I strapped my big pants on and I just, I sat with her every single second of every single day. Sunday boy really taught me to do that. Just spend every second getting to know them, letting them get to know you, get to trust you. And she really started off with the bang. She got second place to Stefan Peters in a San Diego show with like a 71, which was our high score. The Grand Prix thus far. And um, she really just kept, slowly scaling up after that and I think the hardest thing was I really had to learn publicly with her so since I had to compete immediately and go straight to international competitions there was no time for me to fail at small shows or make mistakes at small shows so I mean the highest of highs and the lowest of lows that next year I would have a great competition and then the next day I would be last in the class it was up to me to like win it or place and I blew it. <laughs> I just, and a lot of it was because we were new partners. I was green in the Grand Prix. She was a little bit sassy. And I think that was something that was very interesting. And I didn't realize till after that year, um, I was so hard on myself. And I thought back and I was like, well, we really had to learn very publicly with each other on a really high pressure situation and on a very public international stage. So it taught me a little bit more grace for myself. And, um, but yeah, so she started competing. She made two nations cup teams that year. We had that EHV scare. So my first nations cup team, I didn't even get to compete on, even though we went all the way to Europe. Oh. <laughs> then we went to, uh, then I had to go home. Then I got called back for another nations cup team, which was Rotterdam and Aachen. And again, some incredible experiences. They're some of the biggest shows in the world and also tough because we were still getting to know each other. Right. But just the fact that, you know, she's one of the top 10 horses in the country after six months together and five shows together that we got to make U.S. teams and they took a chance on developing us there was just incredible. I mean, nobody expected to that mare. Nobody, yeah. I didn't, we didn't even expect it. Like we did not believe in this mare as much as she believed in herself. Wow. Simply because of her history, you know, and what she is, she's not the biggest mover. She's not, you know, super expensive. She, and that's stacked against you. If you don't have a horse that moves as big as the others, for sure. You're scored mm-hmm. on movement. If your horse doesn't move as good, you have to do the test perfectly to get just even a good enough score. So we really have to chase perfection with each other. And she's taught me how to be very precise. And then the next year she took me to my first world cup in Germany. And then this year she took me to another world cup in Aachen, the biggest show in the world, pretty much. So She's just the underdog that knew she could and she proved all of us right. And after it only took me a couple months to be a believer. I was like, oh, you are a fighter. You have the biggest heart I've ever seen in a horse. And Uh, there's no she doesn't say no. There's no stop in her. She's amazing. 
Oh, that's so cool. I mean, obviously it's, you allude to the, the chestnut mayor spice and that is so real and, and seeing her in person, like you can tell how much personality she has, but I feel like you've really, you know, with time and, and getting to know each other have figured out how to harness that um, to something like really positive. So what does a typical show prep look like for you guys? What what kind of time are you taking to, you know, getting her, you know, quiet, but obviously not too quiet where she's listening, but you know, there's, it seems like maybe with her, is there more of a fine line or how did you kind of gauge where you find that sweet spot with her for competing? Exactly. Like you said, if you harness that chestnut mare energy and learn to use it for good, it becomes magic. So we really prep her well for shows mentally and physically. So the week leading up to it, she just stays kind of tuned up. She doesn't overwork, but she doesn't get too high either. And then at the show, we just get her in the show arena as much as possible. So in the morning, she's going for a tack walk. And then in the evening, she's going for a tack walk in the show ring. And then she'll do her ride in between. And she gets out of her stall a ton just to get any pent up energy in get her muscles loose and relaxed. And then she's, we're pretty much with her 24 seven. She really likes a person being near her all the time. Um, So she just feels safe and secure. And yeah, it's just finding that line of getting her exercised and secure with her environment, but not overworking her. And then you take a little bit of a risk. Um, You underwork them a little bit at the show so they have enough energy. And then you work on channeling that and bringing out the brilliance and the energy in the show ring. And sometimes it works great. And sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, I should have worked them a little bit easier even, or I should have worked them a little bit harder. But now we really, Omaha showed me, we really have it down to a T, how to get her energy and how to channel it. And it's just, it's made me fall in love with mares. It's pretty much all I have now. (laughs) Wow. Oh, that's so special. I know that um, I got to see it in person. It was so fun to watch you at Omaha when I was there with FEI and um, just seeing you, you know, kind of knowing her backstory and then putting all the pieces together. Um, It was cool. And it was really fun to be able to almost see a little bit behind the scenes as you were warming up and preparing. I know you like to like get in the zone in the warm up ring. Tell me a little bit. I know you are a very competitive person and tell me a little bit about what your mindset is like the day of a big competition. Yeah. So big competitions, I really shut out everything. I have my earbuds in all day long. I don't talk to many people. I, my stomach is usually too nervous to eat a lot. I just spend a lot of time with Diva and I go over my test a ton. I go over my ride with Gunter from the day before we go over a plan. And then I, I just really think about what's been happening, like what's happened in the last couple shows, what she's thrown at me, what's been good, what's been bad. And I prepare, I kind of prepare for the worst and hope for the best, but Mm -hmm. if, if she makes mistakes, I really am prepared on, on how to fix that. So that's really what I'm thinking of most of the day. And then, yeah, usually she starts getting tacked up. And as soon as I get on it, really, a lot of people say their nerves go away. The nerves don't go away for me, but I'm just home. I'm locked in. I know what I have to do. And 
especially competitions like Omaha. I mean, there's hundreds of people around the ring. Yeah. And you really completely shut them out. You don't look any, I don't look, some, some people do. <laughs> I yeah. don't look one person in the eye. I don't, I, there's nobody but me and my coach. And then I take that into the show ring as well, where there's thousands of people. There's just nobody but me and my horse. And I just think about what I have to do. I love one of the, my favorite things about Omaha. And I know you would never, ever say this about yourself. So I'm saying this for everyone listening. You are like, you were like the most popular person at Omaha. Like <laughs> it was so amazing. So, like the, the crowd was so electric, like every time you were competing and all, like all I heard, like the, just like the buzz, buzz, buzz was like, Anna, Anna, like, I want to get an autograph from Anna. I want to, oh, there goes Anna. She's about to go get on. And like, it was so amazing. I just love how it was like such a big part of the event. And I don't know, maybe I'm just like biased because I knew you, like, as far as riders, I like knew you the most, but I really feel like, I mean, it was an Anna show and I was so here for it. (laughs) I was so shocked honestly I told Gunter I said I don't even know if people will know who I am when I go to this competition (laughs) like I'm just I'm not Stephen Peters and Adrian Lyle and Laura Graves yet I haven't reached that and I totally would have understood and we were shocked I mean absolutely shocked the crowd response was unbelievable and it really made me understand how much of an advantage it is to have it on home soil I mean, I can be in Germany, I can be in the Netherlands. And I mean, they're nice, they're educated, so they clap, but it's nothing like your home crowd who loves you because, especially because you're um, an American. Yeah. I was, I was shook. And the fact that I did an autograph signing with Isabel Worth, the like best writer of all time, I just couldn't believe it. It was a total dream. And I was so grateful for everybody that showed love. Yeah, it was so fun. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Gunter. How long have you been working with him? What is that dynamic like? Yeah, Gunter is my hero. He's one of my best friends. <laughs> I wouldn't be where I am without him. I probably would have quit the sport, honestly, without mm. him. So everything I do, everything I will do, completely dedicated um, to him. I've been working with him about seven years now. And it's just one of those magical coach trainee relationships where it just clicked after a while and it's kind of magic and it's like we're almost telepathic now <laughs> and wow. um, it's really special I have to say that's one of my favorite parts about my sport now is the relationship I have with him and the the teamwork we have between us and our horses and he's just so horse forward he's all about the horse he's all about n- not compromising I mean I'm not allowed to do one thing to compromise you know, how I ride in order to get a movement or anything. You all do, you do it correctly. You keep the horse's health, their men, their mental health, their emotional health as a forethought. And it's just something that is, I'll take with me through the rest of my life. And it's something I train my students as well, but it's everything you see me do is because of him. How do you balance being, you know, the time that you have at home with your other horses, your students, and then balancing, I mean, you are on the road a bit competing. So what what is that balance like for you? Yeah, it's tricky and it changes all the time. When I'm on the road, I do online lessons mostly. And when I'm at a serious competition, my students know I'm not teaching that week. But uh, thankfully, since COVID, so many online programs have come out for lessons. So I do a lot of online lessons on the road and at home as well. And 
yeah, that's kind of how I balance that. And my students know when I start with them, I say, you know, my goal first and foremost is U.S. teams trying to be the best rider I can be. And I might not always be available. So I always set them up with a secondary coach as well when mm -hmm. I'm not available or if they want more help. But so many of them are game. They're just like, we know you're busy, but we want to work with you. So yeah. I'm really happy to have um, very loyal, wonderful students. That's so cool. Um, let's talk about future steps because obviously you are looking ahead to some big venues coming up. Um, one being the Paris Olympics. We have the Olympics down the road that will be in LA in a few years. Tell me a little bit about what you do when you have such a gigantic, incredible goal. And what do you do to kind of work back from that to make those um, digestible steps to get to that point? Yeah. So I still have never said the O word in a interview. <laughs> I'm not superstitious, but I think it's just, I'm not even touching it. Okay. okay. <laughs> One day, hopefully. Um, I think I just, it's never guaranteed. And I've heard a lot of people talk about going who've never been and they never make it. And I refuse to be one of those people. Mm -hmm. So I, um, but it, it absolutely is a goal. Paris is a huge goal of mine. Um, I've wanted to go to an Olympic since I was three years old, basically. But um, when you're at this level, you realize how hard it is and how many good riders there are to compete against. And also your horse has to stay healthy, which is, I think, the biggest challenge. And really, so I got to meet Apollo Ono, the ice speed skater oh, last cool. year. And basically, I was kind of telling him what was coming up for me and how big it was getting and and. He was just saying, keep pressing into your team, keep pressing into your process, keep your circle small. And that's really, thankfully, what I like doing. So you don't necessarily think about the big competitions. You just take it one step at a time. So the only goal I have right now is the first international show I'm going to do for next season, which is a qualifier for big shows. But I don't think too much about that. I'm just keeping my process exactly the same and riding one day at a time and just thinking about the show right ahead of me. Yeah. And if you keep it a little bit smaller, it doesn't get too big for you. Right. Yeah. I love that advice. Tell me a little bit about your young horses you have. Yes. I have three now. One of them is an absolute superstar. I have never I could never imagine a horse like this would be in my life she's the fanciest freakish horse I've ever had and she is definitely a good candidate for the future um but she is insanely hot so it's gonna take a while to get her calmed down but I will say today was probably the best ride I've had on her in my life so really? is this I your bay yes the bay okay. yeah <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yes she, my assistant writer Anya and I looked at each other today and we were like, that was it. <laughs> so wow. if we keep having rides like that, she's going to be an absolute star for the future. And then some of the other, some of the others are sales horses and one of them could be a superstar, but he is on and off lame for the last six years. So mm -hmm. that's another very real thing in the horse world. I mean, yep. not all of them can handle it and not all of them make it. Right. Right. Tell me a little bit. I know you've, I, I've asked you this, you know, 
now a couple years back when you were first on the podcast, but what would you say is an area of the industry that you're passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse world either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? There's so many things I could go. (laughs) (laughs) I would say something that was extremely impactful for me was changing coaches when I needed to. And it's something that at least back in 2016, when I changed, wasn't talked about a lot. And it, it is a little bit more today, but it still, I think, needs to be talked about more. But if you're in a position, especially if you're young, like, and you don't have a lot of control over your environment and who's giving you input, um, really make sure that it's helping you get towards your goals, that it's about you, that it's not about what your trainer wants or your trainer's dreams, or your trainer trying to stop you from reaching your dreams, I think. And just, and anybody in general, you know, who's not, maybe you're paying services to, and they're taking advantage of you in some way. Mm. I would just really encourage the young people to really evaluate where you're at, what your goals are. And if you're, if the people who are supposed to be helping you are really on your side, if you're really getting to where you are and if you're happy, if you're miserable and you're still achieving goals, you need to change your environment. So yeah. don't be afraid of, of giving up your dream to stay in a place where you're miserable because you'll right. reach it a lot faster if you go to a place where you and your horse are healthier and happier mentally, physically, emotionally. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great one. And I also feel like there are situations where you might, I mean, you might be perfectly happy, but w- maybe it doesn't necessarily align with your long-term goals and it's, it's comfortable. It's like what, you know, but in the long run t- making that change and taking that step is going to end up being more beneficial in the long run. I think, yeah, I think there's lots of, lots of um, scenarios, obviously for changes and talking about it more in the sense that I mean, that's, that's the reality and everyone does a program differently and it's about finding one that you really gel with and that can highlight your skills and your goals. And so I think that, yeah, and continuing to have a conversation about that, that type of change being good and encouraged for for you to find the best fit. Exactly. And if you're working with good people, they're going to want the exact same thing for Mm -hmm. you. There's, so just never, there's always there's always somebody else so you're never stuck you're never hopeless right yeah no. I love that well Anna thank you so much for taking the time and catching up with me I am so excited to continue to watch your future these next few years are just going I can just I just know are going to be so much fun so awesome continuing to watch you i was so happy that I got to see you in person. So looking forward to more shows where I get to catch you guys in person. Um, But I wish you all the best and thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I always love talking to you. Thanks for all you do for the horse community, really. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.